Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tobin, for that. If you have your Bibles, turn it, if you would, please, to your most favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus. All right, Leviticus. How many of you, when you pick up your Bible to read your Bible, turn to the book of Leviticus? Probably not too many. Uh, it's not one of the most popular books in all of the Bible, but nonetheless, it is within the canon of Scripture, so therefore, it is an important book of the Bible. And it's one that we ought to take the time to go through and uh, carefully, slowly study because that's really the only way you're going to get through it sometimes. Uh, if you're just kind of casually reading through the Bible, uh, you'll, you'll kind of get stopped every once in a while because it's a pretty powerful book. And, uh, you know, I, over the past couple weeks, uh, I've been in my Bible time reading through the book of Leviticus and uh, kind of anticipated getting through it a little faster than what I have, but... Uh, you know, uh, every, when God says stop and uh, ponder and meditate upon this particular passage or this particular thought, you've got to stop and do that. He has something there very special for you, and if we'll just take the time. Oh, time. Time is so fleeting. Time is that which we are consumed with and trying to stay on schedule, though we're, we're there early for the important things, at least the things that we think are important, and the things that are less important we don't take as much time for and aren't as bothered with. And I hope that's not uh, indicative of your Bible time, but that you'll take that time and see it as a priority. But as I've been going reading through the book of Leviticus, and I just finished it this past week, uh, I can tell you how refreshing it was and what a blessing that it was. And, uh, you know, throughout the book of Leviticus... Uh, I saw, I, got a, I got a, gained a, a, a renewed perspective of God. Because really, the, the book of Leviticus in its entirety is all about the holiness of God. Yes, it's about the offerings and the sacrifices, and it's about the cleansings of this and these individuals and so forth. But oftentimes you'll find throughout the book of Leviticus, uh, so be holy as I am holy. And really, all of these sacrifices and all of these things that God's laid out in the book of Leviticus is to declare his holiness and present us as holy before him as well. That's why they're brought before the nation of Israel. That's why they were presented to them. So they can always walk in a right personal growth and relationship with God. And so tonight, I'd like to bring a message on holiness, not the holiness of God so much as God's perspective and how we ought to live a holy life before him. Here in Leviticus chapter 10, we have a, a brief account. Uh, I, I guess if you want to call it a story, but it's, it's a real happen, uh, event that happened in the lives of two individuals. God's laid out his plan and is about to lay out his plan for the priest and the office of the priest and the things that they are to do and so forth. Some things have already been delineated, expectations. And uh, so they're kind of on their way. But we notice here we have two individuals that disregarded God's word, disregarded God's law, disregarded God's holiness, the precious holiness of God. And we see what happened. Verse number one of chapter 10 in Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord and he commanded them, uh, he, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord has spake, saying, I will, be, uh, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. 
And Moses called uh, Mishael and uh, Elzaphan and the sons of uh, Uziel, uh, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them uh, in their coats out of the camp. And Moses had said, as Moses had said, And Moses said unto Aaron and unto Eleazar and unto Ithamar, the sons of of uh, sons, uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die, lest wrath come upon all the people. Let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. And she shall, ye shall not go out uh, from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. I bet they did. I bet you and I would too. If we had that kind of reverence, that kind of respect, that kind of fear of God. See, this same God here that we just read about that struck down Nadab and Abihu for unholy presentation is the same God that we live and that we serve. It's the same God that one day we will stand before. And what kind of an account will we give in that day? Will we give an account of, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or Will we hang our head in in shame, knowing what we could have done, knowing what we should have done, but yet what we didn't do? We see here tonight that uh, God's holiness demonstrated here and how serious of a matter that it really is. The Hebrew word for holiness is kadesh, which means something which is cut off, separate, or set apart. It describes that which uh, is anti-secular. It's not worldly in the category of its own. Kadesh describes something that is elevated, out of, or separated from a severe of the ordinary. Living a holy life, a separated life unto God, is living a life at a higher standard than the world. Uh, and, And we see that that's where God demands. He doesn't ask us to live there. He demands or commands for us to be there. The New Testament word is hagios. Also means set apart, separate, also in a class by itself. It follows that for believers... Now, the call to be holy uh, is a call to be separated from common use and set apart or reserved for special use. Both in the Old and New Testaments, the term is applied to things, persons, and preeminently to God himself. There's a beautiful illustration of an inherent idea of separation that is found in the, in the word holiness that comes from the world of nature. I found this interesting. It says, a beautiful, uh, it says in the forest of northern Europe and Asia lives a little animal called the Ermine, E-R-M-I-N-E. Anybody ever heard of it? There you go. All right, not many of us. Uh, uh, The maize have heard of it. Known for his snow-white fur in winter, he instinctively protects his white coat against anything that would soil it. Fur hunters take advantage of this unusual trait of ermine. They don't set a a snare to catch him, But instead, they find his home, which usually is a a cleft in a rock or a hollow in in an old tree. They smear the entrance and the entire with grime, with slime or some type of dirt. Then uh, the the hunters set their dogs loose to find and chase the ermine. The frightened animals flee towards their home, but doesn't enter because of the filth. Rather than soil his white coat, he is trapped by the dogs and captured while preserving his purity. For the ermine, purity is more precious than life. How about us? Is that representative of us in our holiness for God? Let's pray as we get started. Father, again, we're thankful and grateful for your word. 
how precious, how pure, how holy that it is. For you are a holy God and you've given it to us for the purpose of us living a holy life before you. Lord, I pray that our ears would be open, would be attentive, our hearts would receive what you have for us tonight. Lord, much of what uh, I share with the folks tonight is maybe nothing new from what they've heard before, but it may be just a a reminder of the fact that uh, you require, you expect, you delight, you desire, you demand for us to live holy, separated lives, live above the mundane of this world, and to the glory and honor of your name. By your spirit, we ask that you would uh, fill us uh, uh, tonight, use us as we prepare to go out this week to the honor and glory of you. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. A.W. Tozer said of holiness, holy is the way of God. Holy, uh, uh, to be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is the standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. The holy man is not one who cannot sin. A holy man is one who will not sin. See, there's a difference between one who can sin. We all can. It's a matter of will we choose to sin. The, the, the true Christian ideal is not to be happy, but to be holy. Gary Thomas writes a book entitled Sacred Marriage. And really on the cover of that book, it talks about what if God intended for marriage to make us whole, more holy than more happy. And uh, it's a powerful, powerful book. The whole purpose of God in redemption is to make us holy and to restore us to the image of God. To accomplish this, he seeks to in, in, uh, disengage us from earthly ambitions and to draw us away from cheap and unworthy prizes that worldly individuals set their heart upon. The true Christian ideal is not to be happy, but to be holy. It is real faith that invariably produces holiness of heart and righteousness of life. You know, are you struggling? As I struggle, I struggle I, you know, in, in my walk with God many times. You know, I'm no different than you. I'm confronted by sins and the pressures of this world as you. I fear giving the testimony and the witness for Christ no more than any of you do. But nonetheless, God calls us to a standard that's higher because it's not about us. That fear means that life and our testimony is all about us. And it's not about Jesus Christ. We should be bold in our witness and our stand for the Lord. No believer should ever desire to be happy who is not at the same time holy. Rather than seeking happiness, they should spend their efforts in seeking to know and to do the will of God, leaving to Christ the matter of how happy they shall be. The major problem with man's view of being holy as God is holy, as we see it there in 1 Peter chapter 1, is that they manage to formulate in, uh, in their own mind their own standard of holiness based upon what they believe is acceptable to God. It's almost as though many times when we talk to people about different things, and what do you think about this? Well, this is my thought on what God thinks about this. Well, if it's based upon the Word of God, we're on the right track. But sometimes we just kind of make our standard God's standard and say that's acceptable. Why do you think we have so many standards of Christian living? Why do we have some people that, that they're faithful to every service that we have and other people that don't think that that's really that important? Why is it that some people will spend time reading their Bible and writing notes and studying out the scriptures and growing and maturing in their faith and their walk with the Lord and other people just barely even bring it to church, if at all? Yet, how, how do they justify that? You know, and the reality is, as many times... 
you know, we're looking at people down from us. Well, you know, I'm not up to this standard, but, you know, I'm certainly down to that standard. So God will just have to accept me as I am. I'm okay there. Can't be too bad after all. C is average and average is normal. But let me remind you, being normal takes nobody to heaven, as we remind people in New York when we're there for the ministry. The result is oftentimes a morally good life, but not a holy life and a godly life, which uh, he, God, demands. Remember, God isn't asking our opinion on being holy, nor is he merely asking us to try to be holy. He's commanding us to be holy. But why is he demanding this holiness of our life? The answer, because of the testimony we, his children, are to have. And also because, if you think about it, he's just preparing us for heaven. Heaven is a holy place. I heard a preacher one time say that there's going to be a lot of people surprised when they go to heaven. They're going to experience culture shock like they've never experienced it before. Because the very things that they thought were acceptable in their life and and God's standard for life and living, and they were content there, they're going to find out that by no means is acceptable. And they experience holiness as they've never experienced it before. And so God challenges us and presents this with us. He doesn't tell us to be holy, but he challenges and shows us how to be holy. And tonight I'd like to share with you uh, three aspects of holiness as it relates to every believer. Whether you're a preacher or whether you're a Sunday school te- excuse me, a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or an RU leader, wherever you might be in this congregation, a nursery worker, a choir director, a choir uh, uh, singer, whatever. What does God expect of us? First of all, realize the possibility of holiness. Realize the possibility of holiness. Flip over to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11, first of all, we want to notice that God exhorts us to be holy. The possibility. God exhorts us to be holy. Verses 44 and 45. Moses writing, Lord God says, For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves. In other words, set yourselves apart. And ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. He's already stated that early. He's told them about this. And now he's reviewing this for the nation of Israel. Uh, neither shall you defy yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. See, as we accepted Christ as our Savior, those of us that have made that decision to receive that free gift of salvation, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ alone, he became our God, just as he became their God, just as he led them out of Egypt. So he wants to lead us out of the bondage of our sin. Every Friday night, uh, we meet for our you recovery. And every Friday night, we have new people come in. We have regular folks that come in because of the bondage of the past, the sin that has held them for such a long time. But let me be honest with you, folks. Every one of us could be there. So many times in our lives as Christians, as church-going believers, as faithful attenders, as, as, as pretty of a uh, suit that we put on and dress that we might wear, the reality is, is we all have strongholds in our life that really keeps us and holds us down. And so many times we get frustrated with yielding to that particular thing and that nobody seems to know about. And the reality is, is we have to come to the understanding that God requires holiness of us. You know, I was talking with somebody this morning and they were asking me about a passage of scripture and to help clarify something for them. And I was privileged to do that. And, and I said, you know, 
well, what does that mean, you know? And, and, and I said, well, you know, some people, uh, it, was about, it was about the poor and how people view the poor. And I said, you know, some people call, you know, disassociate, disassociate themselves from poor people, people that are kind of the down and outers, because they're different. They refer to them as those people. You know, I said, you know, sometimes the RU people are referred to as those people. Well, we're not those people. And the reality is, is we are those people. You know, except for the grace of God, so, the, so go we there in, this, in the same footsteps. And, you know, we still, still struggle with the flesh as they're struggling with the flesh. They may be struggling in areas that we're not struggling, struggling with, but realize that our struggles with the flesh declare us uh, guilty before God. And we need to fall on our face and confess that. We see that God exhorts us to holy living. As previously stated, God would, would uh, not have exhorted us to be holy if it had not been possible for us to be holy. Why in the world would he say, be holy for I am holy, if we couldn't do it? Well, he just means strive for holiness. Well, you know, I guess there's that measure of it there. But, uh, you know, and we do need to strive for it. But, you know, we can, we can, we can move forward in that, that walk, in that relationship with him. The problem with us being holy is that many times we think or believe that if we're go, uh, ever going to be holy, it's up to us to do it. God isn't asking us to do it. That's why he's given us the presence of his Holy Spirit. As I share with the RU students on Friday night, if, if and when you come to that decision of Christ as your Lord and Savior, he gives you the indwelling very presence of his spirit with you. He doesn't just give you a spirit. He gives you the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. The very spirit of God to lead you, to guide you, to instruct you, to help you, to protect you, to strengthen you, to be a comfort and a blessing to you. Be holy as, uh, as God is holy is the responsibility and work of the Spirit, Holy Spirit in our life. As we pursue to know God and to walk with Him, His Spirit goes uh, to work transforming our life, beginning with renewing our minds. That's the very pl- first place that He starts. Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. And be not conformed to this world. Hey, are we conformed in any area of our life to the world? Are there are any areas of our life that we think like the world. That we've accepted the world's manner and the world's standard and the world's behavior when we know that God has called us to a higher standard. Maybe we haven't sunken quite to where the world is, but yet we haven't risen to the level where God expects or requires us to be. That hinders us from becoming like God as far as being in that manner of measure of holiness. And so it begins in the renewing of our mind. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How does that take place? By the renewing of your mind. You see, the problem is that so many times we view things from man's perspective. You know, maybe it might have been the environment, the family in which we grew up in. Maybe it's the folks that we hang around with. Maybe it's the place where we work. Whatever it might be that impacts and influences our life affects how our minds are, 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 are controlled. And we see that we have to renew that mind in the Lord Jesus Christ. We challenge our you students all the time. Hey, you're never going to change the way that you act until you change the way that you think. You need to have a different perspective of who God is and realize that he is the high and holy one. We need to see him high and lifted up as Isaiah saw him there in Isaiah chapter 6. As we pursue to know God, we will walk with him then. By his spirit, transforming and renewing our minds. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Over in Ezekiel, you know, uh, the Bible tells us that God was looking for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap, but he found none. What kind of individual was God looking for that should stand in the gap? Well, I don't know if there's any correlation between that passage in Ezekiel and this passage here in Romans chapter 2. 
But it says that ye may prove what is that good. G. Acceptable. A. P. Perfect will of God. God's looking for an individual that's pursuing the good will of God for his life. Seeking the acceptable, uh, uh, directed will of God. the, The perfect will of God. The mature will of God for his life. And we allow the Spirit of God to control our minds. See, see, once we get saved, uh, it's no longer a battle for our soul. It's a battle for our mind. Because the devil's trying to infiltrate our mind. Because if he can get us not to think right and think according to God's perfect plan and according to his word for our life, he can control us. He can, he can uh, ruin our testimony. He can cause us to stray away uh, in some respects uh, from the things of God. Our minds have been infected, infested, and corrupted by sin. Therefore, the beginning work of the Holy Spirit in making us holy, as God is holy, is the process of transforming our life by renewing our mind. And so we see the possibility, the first thing we see, that God exhorts us to be holy. Secondly, we see letter B, God encourages us to be holy. Not only does He exhort us, but He encourages us. It's almost like a cheerleader. I remember being in elementary school. On Saturday mornings, we used to, uh, they divided up the elementary school guys and, and uh, the PE teacher had watched and observed us in PE class when we were uh, uh, doing our PE section and uh, the basketball section. So he divided us up into basketball teams and tried to have them relatively balanced. They'd have a few good players and then a few weaker players and then a few guys that would just as soon be cheerleaders. Uh, but they, they were on the team nonetheless. And so we get out there, and of course, uh, you know, elementary gyms are really small, and, and they're, they're just echo chambers is what they are. Well, you know, to give the girls something, they, the girls in the class uh, were divided up, and they became our cheerleaders. Of course, they had somebody work with them and for their little cheers and so forth like that. And it was all, Saturday mornings during basketball season was always such an exciting time. We'd get there and get with our team, and we had our little scrubby jerseys that we put on, and and so forth like that, and we, you know, we, you know, uh, you know, lick our shoes, you know, like little kids do, and you just get ready for that, and the center jump would go off, and of course the game's going on, going back and forth, and, you know, each team is scoring and, and uh, playing great offense and little defense, and, uh, and you know, sometimes it almost looks like a, a, you know, a wrestling match because you're taking down people, trying to get the ball away, and, but yet, invariably, the cheerleaders, the, little, the, the classmate girls on the other side, we always had this little cheer, uh, uh, you know, it went something like, uh, if he can't do it, you know, Barry can, Barry, Barry, he's our man, if he can't do it, Wilbur can, Wilbur, Wilbur, he's our man, if he, you know, and, and of course they were working, th- they were kind of working through it, and the, and the cheerleaders kind of had figured it out who the weaker players were, so they always started with their name first. And then they worked up to the better players on the team and ultimately to the best player on the team. And, of course, it always made me feel better because, you know, I kind of fell into the upper echelon. I don't know that I was the best, but the upper echelon. But the reality is, hey, God, like a cheerleader, he's trying to cheer us on. He's given us, as pastors been preaching on the book of Ephesians recently, you know, the fact that he's given us everything that we need. Not just for life and living, but for his glory, that we can honor him, that we can be holy. And so... Uh, He's like our cheerleader. He's encouraging us. He does this by encouraging us to seek Him. Matthew six thirty three. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, all the things that we're so consumed with pursuing, all of those things that we're just consumed to go after, all those things that our life is filled and surrounded by, all those things will be added unto us. 
What are those things? Really, the, the, the things that matter in life, the things that you need for life, God will provide those things. He'll even throw in a few extra things every once in a while. But the command is to seek him first uh, uh, there. We see, uh, secondly, uh, Colossians uh, 3.1, if you then be risen with Christ. Hey, if you're going to identify with your, your, if you're going to identify with Christ, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Again, he's telling, Paul's telling the, the Colossian believers to seek the things of God. Why is it, why is it that, that, that pastors and Sunday school teachers and parents and so forth, grandparents, have to encourage one another or teach their students or teach their children to seek after the things of God? Because our natural bent is to seek the things of this world, to go after those things, because we find them enjoyable. We find them in measure somewhat satisfying, but you know what? We always find ourselves going back because it doesn't satisfy fully. We need to realize that only in Christ as we seek him uh, can we know uh, the, the true holiness of God. Secondly, not only would you seek God, but secondly, says, set your affections on the things of God. That's the next verse. First of all, he talks about see, uh, seeking God. Then he says, set your affections uh, on the things above and not on the things of this earth. These things are going to pass away. Whatever it is that you're going after, whatever it is that you're pursuing, whatever it is that you're hoping to get... Uh, out of life, it's, it's going to vanish. Well, but pastor, I'll have it for a little while. I'll be able to enjoy it for a little while. But hey, why not invest in something that's eternal? Why not invest something that's going to make your, your, your heavenly father rejoice greatly, immensely? And so he encourages us by saying, seek God. Hey, set your affections on the things of God. And then and, uh, by encouraging us to be steadfast for God. We see Galatians chapter 5 says, be, uh, stand fast. Uh, you know, uh, and we need to stand fast in the things of God. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight uh, says, "Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, always going forward in your life for Jesus Christ." And so we see the possibility of holiness. God exhorts us to be holy. Secondly, encourages us to be holy uh, by seeking Him, setting our affections on Him, and being steadfast. But thirdly, God equips us to be holy. He makes it possible for us to be holy. Now that's that's pretty good. You know, uh, there are times that. When I was working as a as a teenager, uh, you know, someone would say, "Hey, you know, I need you to go over here and get that." Well, it's kind of like that commercial on TV where the kid's calling his dad. He's got a flat tire in the middle of the night, and and it's a Liberty Mutual commercial uh, where you know the mom's got her arm around the son. My son had a flat tire and went called Liberty. They came out, and the other kid on the other side's, you know, well, my my dad says our insurance doesn't do that kind of thing, and. And, uh, you know, is this, the, is this the, 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 the lug nut wrench? Yeah, and so forth like that. He doesn't even know what that is. And many times, you know, God's equipped us to be able to handle those situations of life. Many times we become overwhelmed, but we just have to step back, stop for a moment, clear our head, bow our head, ask God by his spirit through his word to, to minister to our heart for that particular need of life. And, and God will meet us where we are. Uh, he equips us to be holy. He's given us his Holy Spirit. We've talked about that. He's given us his word, the instruction from his word, but also he's given us his, his example. Uh, notice, uh, uh, turning to the police, to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Verse number 15. For I've given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. He's given us that example. There's another passage in 1 Peter 2.21 talking about an example that he's given to us. We have no excuse for not living a holy, separated life. We well, said, well, he was God. 
in flesh, manifested in the flesh, and obviously he's always going to do the right thing. He doesn't really understand my circumstance. Well, no, he does, because he's God. He does understand. He understands our flesh and how strong it can be. And that's why he, first of all, talks about renewing our minds so that we're thinking like God. Philippians 4.8, uh, let this mind be... Uh, 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 yeah, uh, going after the things that are like, what sort of things are true, what sort of things are honest, what sort of things are just, what sort of things are pure. If there be any virtue, if there be anything, praise, think on these things, those of good report and so forth. Hey, we need to have the mind of God and, and he's given us that tool by his word. He set the example for us and showed us the way and how we can do that. And so first of all, we have to realize that it is possible to be holy. Secondly, we have to realize the principles of holiness, the principles of holiness, the possibility of an individual living a holy life is dependent on whether or not the, that individual is willing to apply the principles involved for holy living. There are two prominent questions we must, that must be answered to determine whether we're truly in pursuit of the holiness of God. The first question is, is who possesses me? Whose possession am I? First Corinthians six nineteen. What know ye not that you, your, your body, uh, let me turn that, I'll get it wrong. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Uh, 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 temple of the Holy Ghost, uh, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. We see, first of all, this aspect of possession of who I am. We've been bought with a price. Uh, we're, we're his possession. We're, our body's possessed of the Holy Spirit of God. When an individual accepts Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they truly become a child of God. Then they become a prized possession of God marked by the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. For every believer, this principle of possession uh, uh, in the fact, for every believer, this principle of possession in the fact of every aspect, affects every aspect of their life to be possessed and controlled by God's Holy Spirit. The determination of whether this is what, of whether we continue is, will, be, will be determined by whether we submit to the control of the flesh or whether we submit to the control of God's Holy Spirit in our life. And so possession has to do with the Holy Spirit being possessed because God has purchased. Verse number 20, that second question, who owns me? For we are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Speaking of our physical body, we're to glorify God in the, the physical life in which we live, in the spiritual life, in our relationship with him, to, we're to honor him as well. When some, something is purchased, it generally means that the purchaser has paid the price and rightfully owns the possession. This right of ownership also guarantees the right and privilege to determine who, how, what, where, when, and why this possession is used. Take anything that you own. Take anything that you possess. It's yours. It's, I have the right to control it. I have the right to give it away. I have the right to say who can use it. I have the right to say where it can go and how it can be handled. I have that right because I paid the price. Uh, that's just uh, how we how we work. But yet, you know, God, you know, we're purchased possession of God. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. I doubt that anything that we have purchased, we uh, gave our own blood for it. Uh, sometimes we may feel that way, but nonetheless, you know, God, by through Jesus Christ, purchased us with the, the shed blood there on the cross. Uh, this right of ownership guarantees those things that I've mentioned, our time, our talent, and our treasure. We need to yield it all to God. Every day when we get up, we need to begin our day by saying, Lord, I don't know what you have for me, but today is another day that you've given to me. Another day to breathe. Another day to do something for your glory, to live to the glory and honor of your name. Another day to be a testimony. Another day to be a witness. Another day to be an encouragement. Lord, help me. Help me with my time, not to waste my time. 
Help me with the gifts and talents, the abilities that you've given to me. Help me to use them for your glory. Help me not to take any glory from you through those things. Help me with the treasures, the possessions that you've given to me, the monetary possessions, as well as the other things of life that I value. Help me with those possessions to use them to honor you in every area of life. Each area of our life should be, should without exception, be wholly yielded to his spirit and wholly given to the Lord for his use and his glory. We are to be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, given to the Lord, and we are to be holy in our lives to the Lord. And then thirdly, we see the priority. We've looked at the possibility. We've looked at the principles of holiness briefly, and now we want to look consider the, the, the priority. Many times this is where the problem lies because we, we just kind of excuse it away. It's like a parent that I, I the word came back to me, um, that a parent years ago when I was the youth pastor said, uh, made this statement, uh, not exactly, but the, the emphasis was the fact that, you know what, you know, I'm never going to be perfect till I get to heaven, so this is just how I am, this is just who I am, and this is just, you know, what God's going to have to live with. And how sad, what a defeatist attitude. Uh, I, I, I sometimes can identify with that because you get tired of trying to fight and battle with the flesh. But when you're battling at your own strength, power, and might, it does become pretty discouraging. It does get to the point where you think, I'll never, I'll never get over this. I'll never get victory in, in this area of my life. And again, we have to come back to the realization it's not about you fighting the flesh. It's about the Spirit of God uh, empowering you to, to battle that flesh. And so every child of God, holiness should not be the exception, but should rather be the rule. We should strive to be holy in every area of our mind. In our, in our mind, we should seek to be holy and, uh, and uh, put on the mind of Christ. Uh, I already mentioned Philippians 4.8, and there are many passages we could mention as it relates to our mind. What are the things that we think upon throughout the day? Lord, help, help me to control my mind. The things that go into my mind are the things that I see. The things that go into my mind are the things that I hear. The things that go into my mind are the things that I smell. They all affect my mind. The things that I touch, the places that I go, those all affect what goes into my mind. So therefore, I need to be careful about what I look at. I need to be careful about the things that I listening, I'm listening to because those things will greatly influence my life and lead me to, to excuse those things and end up doing those things in my life. I need to be careful about the people, my associations, whom I'm around because that has an effect upon my mind. And so we've got to lay aside the worldliness of our mind and, and allow our minds to be renewed by His Spirit. Secondly, we, a priority needs to be our manner of living, our conduct. And notice... Uh, First uh, uh, Peter one, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Philippians chapter one. We'll go there. Got a couple of passages, but we're just going to go to one. Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one. Notice verse twenty-seven, a verse that uh, uh, is pretty well known around here. It says, "For indeed, for indeed." Uh, no, that's not the one I want. That's chapter two. Yeah, here we go. Got too many papers in my Bible. It says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He wants us to be striving together for the faith of the gospel in our manner of living. You and I, side by side, in the fight for truth and right. And so we see that our manner of life and living as it relates to our attitudes. Uh, as it relates to our actions, 
what our what our mind is set upon and, and how we conduct ourselves and, and our, our daily practices of living will have a great impact and effect upon our attitudes and upon our actions. Then also, it affects our spirit. We need to guard uh, this, this aspect of holiness in our life because it has a tremendous effect on our spirit. If we're not uh, growing and maturing in our walk and relationship with the Lord, we're not striving to be holy and, and, and striving, striving to be obedient to his word, it's going to hinder the effect of our spirit. Pastor this morning preached from Ephesians 4 about, uh, dealt with that verse in Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the spirit of God. And so many times, because we become complacent, because we come, because we come, uh, become careless in our lives, uh, it, it hinders the Spirit of God from working in our life. We eventually come to the point where we quench the Spirit, where we're not even we're desensitized. Was the word that he used this morning? And we become desensitized to uh, the Spirit's wooing and working in our life. We make it incapable, impossible for him to do this. Matter of holiness is, very, is a very serious matter to God, and it also should be as to us as well. Therefore, let us strive. Let us strive to be holy as he is holy. Let's not make excuses. Let us strive. Let us run the race with patience. Let us win the race of living a holy life for the glory and honor of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're